This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Brian Hogan. Hello. Eric Berry. Hey, Happy New Year! Woo! I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we have a special guest, and that's Daniel Azuma. Hello, everyone. Do you want to give us a brief introduction? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, Daniel, I uh, uh, guess I've been uh, developing for maybe about 20 years or so. I, I live in Seattle, uh, currently work at Google, been a Rubyist uh, since maybe 2005 or 2006 or so, uh, did a bunch of startups, uh, uh, a bunch of things and then uh, kind of got sucked into uh, Google or I should say maybe decided I wanted a little bit of a change and went to Google. Nice. So what do you do at Google? Uh, currently, I'm uh, part of the cloud team. Uh, I uh, work on a, uh, a team of language support specialists, uh, programming language support, uh, I should say. Uh, I lead the uh, Ruby team there uh, as well as the Elixir team. And we... Uh, uh, we build things uh, to just help uh, Ruby developers and Elixir developers and uh, uh, so forth uh, uh, get onto Google Cloud Platform and uh, and be able to use the tools effectively. Uh, so we do a f- kind of a variety of things, uh, developer tools, uh, uh, as well as we kind of serve as uh, uh, language uh, experts, I guess, uh, uh, consultants, maybe internal consultants uh, for some of the product teams. Uh, so we, we help uh, uh, integrate uh, their products with uh, the language when, uh, when they require certain uh, programming language expertise. That's interesting. I'm going to push us on a ten- tangent here for a minute. I don't hear very many uh, Rubyists doing Google Cloud Platform. Are there a lot of people on there? Uh, there are a few. Um, the the team itself. Well, so Google Plat- Google Cloud Platform is uh, uh, it, it's it's a large organization and it's uh, it includes a lot of uh, a, a lot of different products, both kind of at the the product level. You have App Engine, you have machine learning APIs and things like that, and then you have infrastructure uh, types of things. Protobuf, for example. Uh, so some of those teams, uh, like the Protobuf team, have, have had uh, Ruby developers uh, working on the Ruby version of those for a number of years. Uh, uh, so, you know, just because we, we, we wanted to make sure that we have good language support, uh, you know, across all the languages that matter, but, uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of the, maybe the, the product level teams, Ruby support has, is something that's uh, a little bit newer. Uh, we, uh, the team that I'm on, uh, got started maybe about two years ago. Um, uh, and, you know, we're, we're, 
about uh, maybe half a dozen uh, Ruby engineers, um, uh, some of them, uh, myself included, are, are kind of more your traditional uh, Google software engineers. Then uh, we have some developer relations uh, type engineers. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, uh, uh, there are a few of us. <laughs> nice. Now, we, we brought you on to talk about uh, debuggers, and you gave a RubyConf talk about it. Do you want to just give us kind of the five-minute version, and then we can dig into this and talk about debugging Ruby? Sure. Uh, so the talk kind of came out of uh, some of my work uh, uh, with uh, the product team for, uh, for the Google uh, Cloud debugger. Uh, this is a debugger that we've actually been using internally at Google for a number of years uh, it's, uh, it's designed for, uh, running on actual, uh, live, uh, web applications. Um, uh, so you can actually, uh, have, have an application uh, that's serving real traffic, uh, but, uh, be able to set breakpoints uh, on it and, and collect snapshots, uh, and then be able to save those off and, and analyze them later. Uh, so we've, we've been using this internally for, for as I said, a number of years and we, uh, recently made it uh, available to cloud customers. I uh, worked on the uh, the Ruby version of of this debugger, uh, basically the Ruby agents that that lets you hook into a Ruby uh, Ruby web process. And so, so this was uh, kind of my first uh, debugger uh, project that I worked on. But before this, I actually not really used debuggers very much. Uh, they were strange to me they were they're kind of intimidating maybe um i've heard that yeah, story they're, they're, before yeah it's i've 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 heard it myself i actually uh uh one of my one of my friends here in uh in seattle uh, aaron patterson uh you guys probably know uh recently wrote a uh, a blog post uh about how he's a put s debugger uh you know he doesn't like to use uh uh uh, use you know, real debugging tools just because they, they're you know they're unfamiliar and that was me as well I, I was uh, just kind of unfamiliar with uh, uh, how they worked and what they were doing behind my back uh, and you know I just didn't trust them very much uh, and so coming on and and, uh, and actually working on the implementation of one of those uh, was a really eye-opening experience for me uh, and so uh, that's kind of where this talk came from it's a uh, uh, it, it's I I spent uh, the first half of the talk uh, just kind of live coding uh, a debugger, just writing. You know, here's here's how to write a debugger, and so it, it did breakpoints, it did stepping, it did kind of uh, uh, program state manipulation, all all the things that you would expect in a in a debugger. Uh, really, not, really pretty straightforward. Uh, not that not that difficult. Uh, uh, and then I spent the second half of the talk talking about uh, uh, the cloud debugger that uh, that I work on at Google and some of the uh, uh, techniques that we used for implementing that, some of the challenges that we faced. Very cool. So why don't we start with, I mean, why use a debugger in the first place? I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I generally reach for the put S initially. And then if it starts to get hard, then sometimes I'll fire up a an IDE that has a debugger in it, and then use that. So, but 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 why? You know, what? Why do we need to know these debugger tools? I mean, PUTS works most of the time for me. Yeah, and you know, to be honest, PUTS works most of the time for me as well. And and to be honest, even though you know, I've 
I've kind of had a little bit of an epiphany about debuggers. Uh, I still reach for put S uh, as my as my first uh, uh, the first tool that I use. Uh, but that said, um, you know there are you know, as you said there are times when uh, it, it just it just gets really uh, clumsy. Uh, you, know, you have to uh, you have to go in and. Uh, you have to go and you know, restart your application. You have to uh, uh, you know figure out where you're gonna you're gonna put things, uh, what information you want to you want to display. Uh, uh, there might be uh, uh, you know I guess especially if uh, uh, the process for uh, the process for for getting things started up. So if you have to deploy your application, for example, in order to get it into a state where you can actually run it and uh, uh, and and get, either get your put s log or your logging output or whatever, uh, that might take a lot of time. And so the the round trip time uh, gets to be a real hassle. Um, what I often end up doing uh, is uh, I'll start with. Uh, Putting a bunch of log statements or a bunch of put s statements, uh, just to kind of get a feel for where things are happening and what, uh, and kind of narrow down uh, what's uh, uh, you know, where where my issue might be. Uh, and then when I want uh, to start doing real detailed work, where uh, I'm going to want to uh, uh, kind of rapidly change what I'm I'm displaying, or, or I know kind of what I'm looking, you know, the, maybe the method that I'm looking at, uh, but I want to uh, 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 see what happens when I do this, or see what happens when I do that, and it's kind of that that rapid round tripping is where uh, I start reaching for the debugger because then uh, you know, that's that's what it's for. You can you can you can set up breakpoints, uh, you know, often interactively, uh, you know, change what you. Uh, 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 which what you're looking at, uh, maybe even uh, change the state of the program uh, on the fly and uh, and see what happens. Uh, and to be able to do that kind of interactively without that that large round trip, I think is where it, it's a, a real benefit. I don't typically use um, puts as much as I use uh, pry, and I've 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 gone into the debugger. Uh, process several times where I actually use the debugger, but every, every single time I do, it seems like it's uh, overcomplicated. And uh, so I, I, I always fall to the Pry debugger with, you know, all of the extra Pry add-ons that you can add. Um, do you, I'm fascinated by what you've done with um, with the Google, Google Cloud Platform and that you can actually debug live applications. Can you explain how that actually works? Because to me, it seems like you'd have to uh, you'd have to tell the app only 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 debug on this certain instance. How can you actually let the application know that this is the one that you want to debug, but none of the others? Yeah. So so there are different kinds of debuggers. Uh, the the typical ones that we we often work with uh, uh, in Ruby, uh, like Pry, they're they're interactive, right? You you hit a breakpoint and then you can drop into a, a some kind of a shell, uh, like a, your 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 Pry shell, your IRB shell, uh, and then you can interactively uh, uh, interact with the program states. You know, look at uh, look at the state of variables, uh, call methods, change things, and see what happens. 
uh, you can't do that when you have a live web application, right? You you you, know, you can't stop the the program because you have uh, you might have a customer on the other end waiting for a response, uh, and you or definitely trying to pay you money. <laughs> yeah, even more importantly, uh, in. Uh, and especially, you don't want to you don't want to change things. You don't want to change the behavior and potentially break things for a customer. Uh, and so, uh, so you have this second type of debugger. That's what the the, the Google Cloud debugger is. It's a um, uh, instead of interacting with the program, uh, you take a snapshot uh, when you when you hit a breakpoint. Uh, so you specify uh, I, I I want to break at a certain line, and I. Uh, I want a snapshot of the program state. So I want the, the values of the local variables. Uh, I want the maybe the value of uh, uh, of, of some of these uh, 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 instance variables in my current uh, my current object. Uh, maybe evaluate some expressions. Uh, uh, basically, gather a bunch of information, uh, and then you can and then you can just kind of let the program continue to run. The, the user gets their their uh, their response back. They can pay you. Uh, everything is cool on that end, uh, and in the meantime, you have this snapshot that then you can you can analyze offline. And so, a lot of uh, uh, then the 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 challenge of uh, that kind of debugger is how do you collect that information quickly, uh, so, so that uh, you don't delay the the response to the web application, and how do you collect it safely, uh, so that uh, you don't change uh, the, the behavior of, of of the application by virtue of uh, evaluating things. Uh, so, for example, the Google Cloud Debugger uh, it lets you uh, define expressions. So. Uh, I, I can actually uh, say I, I have a, a user object. I can call the uh, the name method of the user object to to get the the name of the current user, for example, uh, and then return the 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 uh, the result of that uh, as, as an expression as part of my snapshot. Um, well, I have to be careful that calling the name method doesn't actually change the value, the, you know, the, the state of that object. Uh, now, a, a well-written application, you know, you you don't expect you know, calling an accessor to change the state of an object, but uh, uh, but still, uh, we have, we actually allow you know, these these are Ruby expressions; they can do anything, uh, and so we actually have a lot of uh, uh, instrumentation around uh, uh, evaluating those expressions to. Uh, to try to ensure that uh, you you don't uh, you don't make changes, and so we we actually uh, and I I talk a little bit about this in the in the talk, uh, but we have a uh, uh, an analyzer for bytecode where we we actually uh, look at the expression that you do that that you're going to evaluate, we disassemble it, uh, and we look at which what it's doing uh, if if it's going to do some things like. A, uh, change the value of an instance variable, or or you know, uh, modify a global, or 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 do some other side effect like uh, send bytes on a network connection, or or, or various things like that. Uh, then we disallow it. Uh, so a lot of uh, 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 a lot of care uh, has been uh, uh, put into this just to make sure that uh, we can we can collect this information safely and and quickly. Is this available? Only on the Google Cloud platform, or do you know if there are other other mechanisms to do the same thing, like for example Heroku or Amazon or even self-hosted? Uh, I'm actually not sure uh, what other similar products uh, there are. Um, uh, the people that uh, some of the early adopters that we've talked to. Uh, uh, 
based on their reactions, I, I, it seems pretty unique at the moment. That said, uh, you don't actually ha your your program doesn't actually have to be running on Google Cloud in order to use it. Uh, the the uh, the debugger itself runs on Google Cloud, but your program could be running on on AWS or even locally on your your own machine. Uh, you just have to be running the the Google the the, the uh, Ruby agents uh, that that my team wrote as it, it's a Ruby gem, uh, and that connects to the the Google Cloud debugger service, and so you then you interact with the debugger there. How would somebody get started doing doing that? Because that to me that's that sounds like a huge win. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just a it's just a gem that you uh, install. Um, uh, it's called Google Cloud Debugger, um, uh, and there's instructions on on the README uh, there. Uh, it's part of kind of a suite of. Uh, 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 diagnostics and monitoring tools that uh, uh, the they're they're under the the, the brand name Stackdriver. Uh, it's a company that Google owns, uh, so it's the the actual product name is Stackdriver Debugger. Uh, but we we have a a Stackdriver gem uh, uh, as well that kind of brings in the debugger as well as well uh, as uh, logging, error reporting, uh, uh, latency tracing, and and so forth, and uh, it uh, uh, it's automatically integrates with Rails, uh, so you just have to drop the gem into your gem file, and it'll kind of automatically uh, uh, activate uh, all those services. So that's the easiest way uh, to uh, to get started with it is to use a Stackdriver gem. Um, uh, you can use the, the Google Cloud uh, uh, debugger gem uh, by itself. That there's uh, there's a few lines of code that you would have to write to uh, to, to activate it then. So you work with Chris Smith, right? Yes, uh, Chris Smith and uh, uh, and Blomage, uh, Mike Moore. Uh, Mike Moore, there. yeah, they're both local. Uh, they're both local to us out here in Utah. Great guy. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. they are. I I actually uh, I I went uh, I went through there in Salt Lake City uh, last uh, last summer uh, on on the way back, back from a vacation and hung out with them a little bit. So. Uh, but yeah, we work with them. They're they're contractors with Google, and they they did a a lot of the work uh, on uh, the uh, the the API clients uh, uh, that we have. Uh, they're yeah, they've just done, done a really stellar job of uh, 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 making our API clients uh, look uh, Ruby like, uh, uh, especially because we don't have a lot of Ruby expertise uh, uh, here within Google, and so um, sometimes. Uh, Sometimes, you know, without some of the expertise, you know, we we end up, you know, you, you end up writing you know, Ruby Ruby libraries that look like Java libraries, right? So yeah, is that uh, is so it have, primarily Java over there? Uh, it's uh, Java, C plus uh, plus, Python, uh, some Go, uh, right? But uh, uh, yeah, but Ruby's not one of our internal languages. Uh, Do you ever so. feel looked down on, or like they kind of snicker at the uh, at the watering <laughs> hole? You know, like. There's the Ruby guy. So funny. It's a tinker toy. <laughs> Not to my face. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, you're no, I to throw his coworkers under the bus on a podcast. So that's a little. <laughs> no, I. No, it's. In, no, in, in, I mean, in, in general, people, you know. I mean, people get it. It's uh, you know, it's it's been a very successful language for the past you know 10, uh, 10 15 years, uh, and and people realize that. Uh, uh, they're just 
you know, and, and so you know, and so there's there's still a lot of respect for the language and for the community and, and everything that that's uh, uh, everything that we've accomplished. Uh, there just isn't a whole lot of expertise uh, because we don't hire uh, specifically for you know, for Ruby skills, um, uh, and so there's just kind of this. Uh, uh, self-perpetuating. You know, we don't have a lot of Ruby expertise in house, and so you know, when we uh, when we interview, we don't check for that, and so we don't get a lot of you know, Ruby expertise uh, moving forward. Um, but there are uh, there are you know some well-known Rubyists. Uh, you know, my team, uh, Aja Hammerly, who's been on the show before, mm-hmm. uh, is on is on my team. Um, uh, you know, some 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 real. Uh, uh, there there are a few of us that are. Uh, yeah, there are, there are there are a few of us that are uh, well connected into the community, and uh, but just a few, and so uh, we're we're spread a little thin sometimes. Yeah, I do have to say though that I mean the fact that a Ruby gets any representation at uh, you know at Google. I've I've talked to a lot of people at Microsoft, and you know it's gratifying to see some of that there too with their Azure platform and some of the hosting options you have there. But the other thing is is just you know I like. I like having the option, right? It's, oh, well, okay, I can put this on Google Cloud Cloud Platform. I can put this on Heroku. I can put it on my own server. And just having all these options out there with terrific tooling and, and the fact that you're out there making the, uh, the ecosystem better, you know, it, it's just kind of a hearty, yes, it's your job, but thank you, you know, from the Ruby community, uh, both for these tools as well as just, hey, look, you know, give Google Cloud Platform a try, just like you give some of these other ones a try. I had a question about the snapshots that you uh, say you take. So, you know, basically a client has a request, it comes through, and you kind of hijack the request, take a snapshot, then fu- fulfill the quest, the request really quickly. What's the actual size of the snapshot that gets taken and then pushed over to the debugger for later analysis or whatever? I know it's going to probably vary depending on the request or the size of the application or whatever, but just on average, what have you found for like a standard CRUD Rails application? Yeah, so uh, so yeah, it can vary. Uh, we we by default we capture uh, the local variables uh, and uh, uh, and the stack frame, uh, and we actually capture the local variables for I think it's the first five. Uh, I think it's the first five frames in the, in the stack trace, but beyond that, uh, you know, beyond, you know, I guess uh, in the limits, uh, you know, you could try to capture you know the, the entire constants of memory, and that you know that just you know, that 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 wouldn't work. That sounds well. like a great um, idea. <laughs> um, uh, so by by default, we kind of limit it to the the, uh, uh, the local variables, uh, and then we say, well, if you want uh, other things, you, you just you know, write an expression. So you want uh, the value of some uh, instance variable, you can create an expression with you know at uh, uh, you know at my username or, or whatever your local variable name is. Um, that that says you know if any one of those objects might be large, uh, we we just use inspect uh, to, uh, for most object types. Uh, to uh, to serialize it, um, uh, and so we actually also limit uh, the size or and the depth of uh, of, of uh, the uh, the serialization, um, uh, and I can't remember exactly what the the default limits are. Um, uh, 
but so when, you know, once it gets past a certain you know, number of bytes, we say, okay, you know, dot, 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 there, there's more information here if you want more than, uh, uh, then what you can do actually is uh, uh, we, we give uh, precedence to uh, the expressions, the user-defined expressions. Uh, so uh, if you want a particular piece of information, then put it in an expression. If you want something that's deep down in the in, in the object hierarchy, then you know, uh, call the you know, call those accessors yourself uh, and so kind of drill down yourself. Um, uh, there are you bring up uh, uh, something though. It's uh, it would be nice uh, to be able to customize some of that uh, information. Uh, uh, or customize some of that, uh, some of those limits, uh, uh, I guess. And I don't think we currently have a, the ability to uh, uh, to say, well, uh, limit it to 10k versus 5k or, or, or something like that. Uh, that's uh, I don't think we have that. I, I would have to check. Um, but yeah, we we have a particular uh, uh, size limit on the serialization. Okay, so they're pretty small, you know, 10 kilobytes or whatever. Um, and does the debugger have something where it'll automatically take a snapshot if a error is found? Like if uh, the server is going to end up returning an error 500 to the client, can it capture the variables around or that session around uh, what happened and then automatically send that over to the debugger? Or is it something that's always initiated by a developer? Mm. That is a... Very interesting feature request that uh, we can uh, <laughs> uh, no, so we, we can talk about. Um, uh, no, we don't. We don't capture uh, debug information uh, automatically for uh, uh, if an error happens. Uh, uh, that said, there is a separate error reporting service uh, as part of Stackdriver that where we do capture the uh, uh, the exception itself uh, and uh, and send it there, uh, and so. Uh, potentially, uh, you know, I guess the uh, I guess the challenge with the debugger is, you know, when when there's an error, you don't necessarily know where it comes from, and so it's it's, uh, it's difficult to say, well, uh, I want these local variables or these these expressions to be evaluated because you don't know what what context that's that's coming from. But uh, but yeah, there, there's potentially there might be some you know some interesting things that you could capture uh, if, when you detect an error. Have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. you know, because I'm just thinking with something like Sentry or Rollbar, some error reporting services, they do typically a pretty good job of capturing like the stack trace of where the error was. You can inject in some expressions to capture variables as they occur, uh, but you know, it doesn't have the interaction like uh, you're saying the uh, Google Cloud Platform debugger has. You know, it's just more of a information dump. Here you go. You can go look at it later. But I'm thinking just, you know, if I'm on the road or if I'm at a coffee shop and I have my tablet, don't have my laptop, so I'm not really ready to dive into something. But if I'm able to inspect some of the variables, play around with it a little bit just from my laptop, then I might be able to go to my code repo, make a code, quick code change, let it pass the CI/CD, and then do a deployment, you know, right from my phone or tablet. You know, I would think that would be a um, really cool feature request. So there's there's some future work for you. Yeah. <laughs> if you get bored, call Dave. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, we're we're always uh, you know we're always really interested to hear uh, yeah what you know, people's ideas and what would really help uh, help developers you know, do do their job more effectively. Because that's I mean that's the point of these tools, whether it's you know Rollbar or any Badger or whether it's Google Cloud, Stackdriver, or whatever. That's 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 what our goal is. So, so I've got. It question for you about your journey, you know, getting into the whole debugging process, because you mentioned that, you know, you, you, you didn't start out really that into debuggers and you sort of found yourself uh, working with them, you know, working with them and, and working on one. What, what was that journey like? What was the sort of, uh, what sort of kicked that off where you sort of decided this is something I need to know about? What was, what was the event or situation that, that made you think I need to get into this more and learn more about this? Uh, in general, you know, there there really wasn't a, a particular event that uh, that you know, sparked an interest. It was more uh, the needs of uh, you know the, the debugger team basically came to okay. us uh, as the Ruby team and, and said, "Hey, we need you know we need this." And then there was some uh, you know some panic within the Ruby team. Is okay, who's, <laughs> who, who has experience writing debuggers? Well, you know, none of us really did. And so, um, yeah, so, so the, yeah, so, the, so the, you know, what, when you're in, when you're thrust in a situation like that, you know, where did you start then? Or what was the, what, just from a very, you know, for thinking, thinking about it in terms of, uh, of the, a person who might find themselves in that situation, what, what did you start doing? Did you start looking at debuggers that existed already? Did you start picking apart debuggers that existed for other languages that you could, that, that you could sort of say, well, this is how I would adapt it. I mean, that's, that's sort of what I'm interested in. Mm, okay. Um, yeah. So. The first thing that we did was we actually uh, we, we looked at uh, some of the other languages uh, that uh, uh, that the Google Cloud Debugger uh, already uh, supports. Uh, so internally, again, we've we've used this tool for uh, for some time already, and for our internal languages, Java, C and Python, uh, there are already uh, uh, debugger agents for those languages. And so uh, so we talked to the team and say, you know, how, how are uh, how are debuggers? How, how are the, how is the debugger implemented for these languages? Um, so we got some background in uh, just kind of uh, in general uh, what sort of things to to look for. Um, turns out uh, that uh, the basic the basic techniques uh, for uh, for implementing debugger uh, specifically how to uh, how to detect a breakpoint. Uh, is a little bit different uh, in Ruby than it is in, uh, in in some of those other languages, and so we we then had to do a little bit of uh, uh, research ourselves uh, into uh, the uh, into kind of the Ruby community and, and uh, Ruby debuggers. We we looked at Bybug uh, a little bit, so it's probably familiar with that. It's it's brought into uh, Rails by default, um, uh, but it's kind of it's it's a a, a kind of a well. Uh, uh, well thought out uh, uh, kind of traditional um, uh, shell-based uh, debugger tool for Ruby, uh, and uh, some techniques that it uses. Uh, 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 so it it uh, it uses the uh, uh, the trace point API for uh, for example to uh, uh, to detect breakpoints. And so uh, we determined that uh, uh, that was probably going to work for us. Uh, as well, and so we we we, we kind of adopted some techniques for, from there, but yeah, just uh, kind of uh, doing your research uh, uh, from what what's been done in the Ruby community as well as uh, 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 some of the other languages uh, that 
that the debugger, our, our debugger uh, library supports. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Sure. If you had to, if you had to do it again, what would, you know, if you could talk to your, to your past self, then what would be the one piece of advice that you'd give your past self now that you've gone through this experience? <sighs> That's a really good question. Um, I think I would, I think I would tell myself, uh, to spend, uh, more time using, using other debuggers first, uh, before, uh, before digging down and trying to understand how they worked. Um, cause I, again, you know, at, at that time I was entirely kind of a put S debugger. I, I kind of knew the basics for, uh, how, you know, know how to interact with the debugger but i didn't have a lot of uh, uh experience for it with uh just generally how uh how people use them and, and what uh uh it, maybe what features mattered uh and what which ones didn't as much uh uh where it's where it where performance might matter more than other places and you know Issues like that uh, would have helped us uh, prioritize uh, a little bit better uh, uh, which elements we focus focused on first. Um, uh, as you know, as it turns out, uh, I I really only started using debugger once we started testing our the debugger that we had written. Which sure, <laughs> sure. I'm I'm kind of curious. I mean, what kinds of things do you wind up learning implementing a debugger? Is it more like VM design, like Ruby VM design, you know, and features that make that easy or may already be built in that are debugger centric? Or is it more around how people actually do development and the processes that they go through in order to make sure that their program works and then to figure out where it's not working? Or are there completely other things that you I'm not even thinking of, you know, as far as processes or, or stuff like that? Um, you know, what are the lessons that you're going to pick up if you go and decide to write a Ruby debugger? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I think you touched on, uh, uh, I think you touched on the, you know, the big, I think the big two are you know, number one, you know, you know, what are those, uh, uh, development processes, uh, that, that are useful for, for troubleshooting, um, you know, and, and, you know, what, what kind of techniques uh, open up once you have a tool like this? So, you know, my my own uh, my own troubleshooting technique is you know has expanded somewhat because uh, uh, because I have this experience. Um, uh, but also, uh, there are, uh, there's a lot of uh, 
uh, kind of details about how the Ruby VM works uh, internally that uh, uh, that I learned uh, as, as a result of this. So, uh, you know, things like you know. Uh, uh, I we had the opportunity to kind of dig into the uh, into Yarv, uh, into Ruby bytecodes, and what what the Ruby bytecodes are, uh, you know, what what they do, where what kind of optimizations are kind of built into uh, the, uh, the Ruby bytecodes. So there's there are some things that uh, show up as uh, uh, as entire methods uh, on the Ruby end that are just implemented by one bytecode. Uh, just because they're so uh, commonly used, and and uh, uh, and the Ruby core team decided that uh, it would be really useful to just optimize it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, kind of looking into uh, just kind of how that how that process works, and and you know, what you can do, uh, uh, you know, different ways to to uh, I guess interact with the VM. You know, call the VM, see, you know, see what it's doing, and and uh, and and analyze uh, uh, analyze how, how a program behaves uh, uh, through those VM calls. Um, that said, I we also learned that there are a lot of uh, uh, there's still a lot of kind of limitations into uh, what you can do, uh, especially from Ruby. So if, uh, uh, so if you drop down into C. Uh, you know there are a lot of VM calls that that are available, and and uh, you know a lot of analysis that you can do, uh, but very few of those uh, uh, those capabilities are exposed up at the Ruby level. Uh, and so you so you actually have to drop down to C uh, to to do a number of different things. You know I I think it might be uh, and it looks like the Ruby core team has been very uh, cautious about uh, uh, exposing some of these uh, uh, some of these capabilities. So once you once you expose them to Ruby, then you're you're kind of stuck with them. Uh, you you want to maintain backwards compatibility, mm -hmm. um, and so so they've been really cautious about uh, exposing too much of the, these internals. But when you're writing a, a, a debugger, uh, uh, you often need them. Uh, so uh, uh, so you really learn you know kind of a lot of What's uh, what's available in C versus what's available in Ruby, and, and uh, uh, there's there's a lot uh, that you can do if you uh, uh, if you drop down to C. That's really interesting. One other thing that I've seen um, over the last little while with a lot of the debugging options and libraries that are out there is that um, they tend to get um, integrated into things like IDEs and stuff. Uh, do you foresee that as an option for your debugger, or is your debugger more of a standalone service that that people are going to connect to? Uh, currently, it's just a standalone service. We we expect that uh, people will just uh, connect to it uh, via the, the the Google Cloud Console. Um, uh, that said, uh, it is there. There is an API for it. Uh, it is definitely possible to. Uh, to, to integrate it with uh, uh, an IDE. It's, it's actually something that we have talked about uh, uh, in our team uh, before. We, it's it, it hasn't. Uh, I guess it hasn't bubbled to the top of the priority list right. uh, at this point because we're 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 not really convinced that uh, enough Ruby users uh, use you know, use IDEs that uh, you know or or you know, want to use want to do debugging in an IDE that it's especially for uh, something like uh, debugging a web application uh, that's you know uh, that's online that's live in production uh, you know, does it make sense to debug that from an IDE well I'm not sure um, 
So yeah, it's it's something that we've talked about, but maybe you can convince me convince me that uh, it is worthwhile. I mean, no, I'm pretty sure it's not. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tricky one, right? I mean, you know, just just like your debugger, right? Just like just like the debugger project in the first place, it eventually the need the need for one to exist on the Google platform you know, was brought to your attention, probably due to some kind of customer research, customer demand. So if you get enough people that are asking for it, it probably becomes a thing. But I think that the fact that you're not getting a lot of people asking for it is probably indicative of the fact that it's not that necessary. So. Uh, I don't. I don't remember the last time I used an IDE other than Vim. It's been like ten years, so I don't. Uh, I'm happy to go to a console somewhere else and look at stuff, but still, the the API seems interesting. Well, the, the last time I played with an IDE was Visual Studio Code, and we've done shows on it, and I wanted to play with it, and it does interesting things. But yeah, I mean, it. I don't know. It again, you know, I still lean toward the put s unless I just really, really need more information than, you know, one or two put s's will give me. Yeah, that's what we found is, is, you know, there are people that use IDEs in the Ruby community, but there just don't seem to be uh, as many as uh, as in other languages. So so some of our other language teams at, at Google, uh, they actually uh, spend a lot of time doing uh, uh, doing IDE integration, we have a C sharp team that uh, that does Visual oh, Studio yeah. integration, and and the Java team does a lot of uh, you know, IntelliJ work. But uh, for for the Ruby team, I mean, my sense is that uh, a lot of us use just use Sublime Text or Vim or whatever it is. Well, it's interesting to me because I've I've taught a lot of beginners, and I've taught a lot of people who who have programmed for years and and in Ruby, and it is really interesting that if if you've got some some people who come from other languages, the people who come from C sharp and come from the Java world, they they find it absolutely odd that the Ruby community in general tends to move you know the IDEs that are available. There's not that many of them or. Um, or you're sort of hacking a bunch of things together. They find that very odd, uh, whereas the people who come from other languages don't seem to think that's odd at all, and then they just sort of, yeah, it's fine, that's, there's not a problem here. And I always kind of wondered, you know, is the lack of IDE support, is it, is it because no one wants it, or is it just because the IDEs don't have the capabilities? I always sort of wondered, is this sort of a chicken and egg type of problem? Yeah, it, I mean, it might be. <laughs> I've, I've always just chalked it up as uh, this, that's just, you know the way the community works. You know we have yeah. our own culture, and you know yeah. that's just that's the way that we, we we like to do things. Yeah. So Brian, to give you an answer to that question, my older brother, he is a uh, PhD electrical engineer, works at this big company with all of his fancy other engineers, like real engineers, not software engineers, like the real engineers, and <laughs> he. Uh, him and his colleagues always referred to Ruby as the Fisher uh, the Fisher Price programming language. So you know you don't read an instruction manual or need one for a Fisher Price toy. So why do you need a IDE for Ruby? <laughs> so, that, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. Okay. I, I can't say I agree with that, but um, there is one opinion. <laughs> You know, it, it, it is interesting because if you look at uh, one of the things that I've become acutely aware of uh, in, in the last year was just um, due, to, due to some of the work I'm doing at the day job, I've been interacting with people who do a lot of data science work with Python. And so many of them 
the only thing they use is Jupyter Notebook. And if you haven't seen that, that's yeah. you know an IDE kind of in the in the web browser that you just you just prop up and uh, you just put paste the code in your browser, hit the run button, and it goes. And it's sort of IDE like. Um, and I, I find that interesting because you know the, uh, if you if you're doing data science, your primary uh, you know primary goal really isn't writing code; it's doing some code to make some problem go away. Um, and and so I, I find that interesting that that's so, so there, there's a tool already for that that allows them to do that kind of work. And I was kind of wondering, wait, you know, where's Ruby's where's Ruby's tools like that? Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. I've I've heard that same thing from a lot of folks. But, I don't know. You know maybe it's, somebody it's, will make it's a Ruby. Yeah, well, it's pretty, but it's pretty. You know, it, it's pretty clear that it's pretty clear that uh, the Ruby community has done pretty well without tools like that. Uh, and, and it is, you know, it is, it is sort of again indicative of how the community works. That's and that's kind of a kind of a neat thing. I don't need to think about it. It is difficult to explain to people who come from you know, if you come from a world where you are using an IDE every day with a debugger. Um, I've seen firsthand how hard of a sell that is to convince people. No, no, you do it with a tech. You write Ruby application, full blown enterprise Ruby applications with a text editor and a a console debugger, and they're they're just like, what? How does that even work? But you know, eventually they manage to they manage to to figure it out. So yeah, it's duct so guess, tape, MacGyver. It's duct tape. <laughs> I guess Ruby Mind would be the uh, jump from going from like Xcode to Ruby mine if you're switching languages and then to Vim or Sublime or VS Code or whatever. Yeah, uh, I think that's that, why Ruby mine exists is that that's, intermediate yeah. step. <laughs> that's exactly what that's what exactly it is. Well, that's the, the thing is that it is really it is really comfortable if you come from if you come from uh, uh, I'm gonna say NetBeans if you come from NetBeans it is like yeah it's it's very familiar and very very comfortable and I. Uh, a lot of people that I've worked with, they sort of they don't they don't go any farther than Ruby Mine, which is cool. Um, and I've I've always thought Ruby Mine was just awesome. So, uh, well, I could just never. And it just scared me too much. It made me think of Java too much. So I I just get, had to get away from it. Well, that's the thing is I've talked to a bunch of people who use IntelliJ or um, what's the plugin for Visual Studio that JetBrains puts together. I'll think of it after the show. I'll be like, oh yeah. Anyway, um, but they all use the same keyboard shortcuts and stuff. And so I've had people move over and say, oh, yeah, it was seamless because, you know, IntelliJ is JetBrains and so is um, RubyMine. And so, you know, all of their muscle memory kind of came over with them. Just like people tend to install Emacs or Vim uh, keyboard plugins for all of their yeah. programs. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else that we want to dive into with this before we start? looking at picks one thing that i'm wondering just in general since you you know you do google cloud is if somebody wanted to put a ruby app on like app engine what do they do how does that all work uh this i mean there, there's uh you just uh, specify it's a ruby app in your application app engine configuration and uh, uh it'll it just works we have uh uh yeah, we have a, a runtime for uh, for App Engine that uh, actually my team worked on, and uh, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's just a language just like any other language on on App Engine. So you made it easy. I like that. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's our job. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've also, like I said, I wind up going to a lot of Microsoft events. Um, uh, one of the things that they've been dealing with a lot lately is Docker. 
So how does Google App Engine deal with Docker? Is, is that just as sim- seamless? Yeah, well, Google App Engine, uh, so we should probably clarify, uh, uh, there are two, currently two flavors of, of Google App Engine. There's, there's kind of the, uh, uh, the, the classic App Engine, or what we call the standard uh, App Engine, uh, and then there's the flexible uh, environment App Engine. Uh, the, the standard App Engine is, is kind of, it, it, uh, it, it dates back to, gosh, 2008 or something like that. It's been around for a long time. It uses a sandboxing mechanism uh, that I'm not too familiar with. The flexible environment is newer and it's, it's based on Docker. Uh, and so this is this is the environment that Ruby, uh, the, the, uh, the Ruby runtime runs in. Um, uh, so the, the idea is that you, you, you just uh, you just specify Docker containers and then uh, App Engine takes those containers and runs them. Um, and so you can so we, we have a, a standard mechanism to uh, uh, to take a Ruby application and wrap it in a uh, in a Docker image. Uh, uh, and, and App Engine will do that for you uh, without you having to deal with Docker at all, uh, or you can, or you can give, uh, uh, you, you can create your own Docker uh, image and give it to App Engine. App Engine will run that. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, the, the flexible environment is is based on Docker. Uh, really, or, or, or it it uses Docker as kind of its its unit of of execution, I guess you could say. But yeah, Google has really embraced Docker. Uh, I'd say it's. I mean, we've been we've been using containers internally for uh, for quite some time. But uh, uh, when Docker came out and and really kind of made made containers uh, uh, easy to use for for everyone, uh, you know, it was really exciting for us. And you know, we. Uh, uh, so you know, we, we we created Kubernetes, uh, which you, you might be familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. to as a as a way to kind of deploy and orchestrate containers and uh, uh, made that available. And it's it's we we built uh, the App Engine Flex and Flow environment on Docker. So Docker is really kind of central to uh, to how Google Cloud uh, how we see Google Cloud move, uh, hosting your application moving forward. Um, so yeah, that's cool. The more I dig into Docker, the more I like it. So, all right. Anything else that we want to hit before picks? All right, let's do some picks. For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Brian, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, I'll start us off with picks. And I'm actually going to pick Docker. Um, and that's because I spent the last year working with it. Um, and uh, and what I want to say is that not so much for like deployment, 
you know, it's it's great for deploying your apps and all that. But the place I've been finding it really useful is working on applications locally. Um, I've always had trouble. I've always had trouble getting on my Mac getting like Postgres to work properly. Um, I don't know what it is about my Macs or something. But there's always something that goes wrong, and if I don't touch it for a while, I go back and all of a sudden I'm missing some library or something didn't update right or whatever, and um, and I've just decided, no, what? Forget it. I'm just going to spin up a Postgres container, uh, map the, and, and I can say I want this directory on my Mac's hard drive to be mounted into the Docker container, and I want to forward this port, and so I can just fire it up, and it's as if I'm, or, you know, as if I have Postgres installed locally. So I'm tending, I'm tending to use Docker for a lot of development stuff. Do I need Redis really quick for this app, for this project I'm working on? Great, let's spin up a container for it rather than installing it on my system. Um, and then, then you know, when I don't need it anymore, it's very easy to clean all that kind of stuff up. Um, and so that's that's sort of what I've been recommending to people who don't really know much about Docker, just looking at the options to run some of the servers that you you work with, um, the database servers, things like that that you work with, uh, and and kind of try things out that way because it's something that you're comfortable with. You know, setting up a, a MySQL in a container and then connecting to it with a local client is kind of you know it's kind of interesting. Let's go to kind of explore that platform. Um, the second pick I've got is uh, an app, a Mac app called MonoDraw, which is uh, something I've been using for a while. It is just an ASCII art diagram uh, application. Um, sometimes I, I find that is when I want to throw some, I want to throw some diagrams in a README file or something, or I just want to sketch something out myself and I want to keep it in text. Um, and I don't, I don't, I really want to keep it with the keep it with the documentation. Uh, so I've I've been using this for a while, and it's it's a it's a fantastic drawing tool. It's just nice to have the text, and it keeps the objects. It actually keeps the uh, the ASCII objects uh, as as drawing objects, so you don't have to edit them by hand later on. There's things online like ASCII flow that you can use, but one of its big drawbacks is that it's uh, once you draw it, it's now it's text, and you have to kind of delete the characters. You can't really move the objects around as easily, and MonoDraw handles that, and, and uh, it's a pretty pretty fantastic app. Uh, the other one I have, a final third pick I have, is a, a, a cross-platform app. I think I've done a pick on this before, but it's it's become an indispensable tool in my in my daily work. It's called Typora, and it's a Markdown editor. It's a visual. Um, it's almost like you're typing in Microsoft Word, rather than a side-by-side -side pane. You just type, and as as you type, it converts the text uh, that you're typing into into uh, Markdown. Um, you, you can flip over to the code the code view. But you don't have to. It uses a lot of the common keyboard shortcuts you'd use if you're using a, a word processor. But uh, one of its the neatest things for it is that it has built-in support once you enable it for uh, uh, diagrams in the mermaid language, which you can do flow charting and things like that. And it, it will insert the diagrams rather than just showing you the code. It will actually convert the code on the fly into the diagrams. So when you publish as a PDF or publish as a as an HTML document, it will actually convert the diagrams into images. So when you do layouts and stuff, you actually have your images. And that's another way that I'm able to keep diagrams with my with my writing as opposed to having to crack open an image editor and uh, do the diagramming that way and then bring the images in. So I found that, I found Typora to be an amazing tool for handling that. So those are my picks. Awesome. Eric, what are your picks? I just got one. Uh, I just got one this time. Um, over the holiday uh, vacation, we uh, we had a lot of downtime, and so my wife and I 
kind of binge watched a new show, at least new to me on Netflix, which I totally didn't think that she would be into. Uh, but it's uh, The Punisher. And it was so, 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 so good. Um, not a typical Marvel uh, show. There's no superpowers or anything except you know, the fact that the guy just can't die. But um, <laughs> it, it's a fantastic. <laughs> I mean, the acting is wonderful. The characters are wonderful. It's just you really get into it. And uh, so if you're wanting a show to watch with your spouse or or just a show to catch up on the, on Netflix, uh, that, the, the Punisher is a great, great show. Awesome. Dave, what are your picks? All right. So just one, uh, two picks. All right. So the first one, uh, since Brian picked Docker, I'll pick again, um, Kitematic, which is a great interface for managing your Docker containers and settings. And if you're not familiar with Docker or don't want to mess with the Docker CLI, this is a great alternative to that. So, uh, it's something that I found to be extremely useful and, uh, a lot of fun to use. The other one is, I have three children all under the, you know, they're four years old, three years old, and one year old. So my house is nuts all the time, except they're asleep <laughs> right now. So that's why you don't hear them screaming. But the one thing that I found that keeps our attention beyond nothing else is this game on my iPhone called Thomas and Friends Mini. It's a really cool uh, game where you can just build your own train track and then put Thomas and other trains on there. And they'll just kind of like race around and bump into each other. But then it also has a augmented reality view where you can actually use your camera on the phone, have it put it on the table or something, the track that you built. And then you can walk around the table and get really close up or far back and, you know, kind of see the augmented realityness of it. It's really awesome for kids and me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Oh, very cool. Um, so I, uh, I'm i going to throw in a couple of picks here. One is is uh, I just uh, switched business coaches, which is something that I kind of like to do just to get a different, uh, uh, a different aspect on, you know, what I'm doing here at devchat.tv. And, uh, you know, so my last business coach was really good at kind of the high level, um, you know, big picture focused stuff. Um, and th this business coach is really good at the, here's how you set up a business. Here's how you run a team. Here's how you hire people, et cetera, et cetera. And he has been tremendous. He has a podcast called business on purpose and, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome. Um, I know him from another organization that I used to belong to and, um, yeah, he has a basically four steps, uh, process that he runs you through in, um, just kind of. Uh, buckling down and, and locking down your business so you can be more profitable. And uh, it's been awesome. So I'm going to pick that. And then um, the other thing that I'm going to throw out is uh, I've been doing the My Ruby story and my Angular story and my JavaScript story. And I had a terrific conversation with Kent C. Dodds yesterday uh, for the My JavaScript story. And it'll, it'll come out in a couple of weeks. But uh, overall, I just want to uh, put out there, you know what, um, have conversations with folks. I'm going to lunch with Kent on Friday and, you know, just, just talking to people and, and getting to know them and catching up and being friends. You know, it's not always about what we, what we can build or what we think we can do. 
But sometimes it's just about, you know, being people with people. So uh, I'm, I'm just going to put that out there as well. Uh, Daniel, what are your picks? Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I do want to second uh, the, the Docker pick. Uh, that's uh, that's something that I do all the time. Uh, if, if, I, if I just need to install something just to, just to check it out really quick, and I don't want it to... Um, you know, I, I don't want it to clutter uh, my my uh, you know my hard drive or you know just clutter stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll just throw it. You know, I'll install the uh, the Docker image and, and play with it in the container. Uh, it's just it's uh, yeah, it just happens all the time for me. So uh, I do want to second that. Um, the picks I have. Uh, uh, so my first pick is. Uh, it's this project called uh, Music Animation Machine. Um, uh, it's the work of uh, Stephen Malinowski. He's a retired software engineer who's also a, uh, a musician. He's an accomplished uh, pianist and composer. Uh, and he, uh, he's been putting together a, a, a system to, to visualize musical scores. Uh, and you can see it on YouTube if you, if you search for him. Uh, I can... Uh, Put a link to that in the uh, in the chat here, um, but uh, it's um, uh, basically uh, uh, animation. So you 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 listen to the uh, piece of music and then you see an animation uh, of uh, uh, a representation of the music score. But it's not uh, it's not like music notation. Uh, uh, it's just uh, basically shapes, uh, colors, uh, and animation. Uh, different ways to uh, uh, to see. Uh, you know things like uh, instrumentation. What instruments are playing when? Uh, you know how, how the different uh, uh, voices relate to each other. Where melodies are 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 being copied from one instrument to another. Uh, he has ways to visualize harmony and uh, uh, and different things. And so it's uh, just a really uh, uh, just a really interesting way to to see uh, what. Uh, uh, I guess the structure of, of a piece of music and and uh, and what's going on. Uh, I I found that uh, I I hear a lot more when I'm able to to kind of visualize what's going on in a piece of music. Um, he's done a lot of uh, a lot of Bach, I guess, because it's uh, you know there's Bach is a very structural composer, but he's also he's also done a lot of. Uh, 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 he's done some jazz. He's done some uh, 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 some modern music. He's done you know, all sorts of classical music. Just really, really uh, interesting. I think it's, if you're a musician, it's uh, it's just it's just really eye opening uh, to to see some of these animations. And even if you're not a musician, it's just it's uh, they're also just really artistic and it's really cool to watch. Um, so I'll pick that. Um, I think that's that, that's that's about it. Awesome. Now, one other thing that I, I'm curious if people want to see what you're working on these days, or maybe you have a blog, or you're on Twitter, GitHub, whatever. Uh, where where do people find you online? Yeah. Um, so I do have a Twitter, uh, which I don't really tweet. Uh, if you want to know why, uh, there, uh, I, I did a I did a RailsConf talk in 2013 uh, uh, on on uh, philosophy of technology, where I, I I discuss why I don't like Twitter. I have a blog on uh, Daniel-Azuma.com, uh, uh, which I don't I I, sh I should post more often. I, I, just I don't know. I guess I'm not online as much as I probably ought to be. <laughs> 
but I guess the best best place is probably just to go to my website. Uh, my contact information is there. Uh, and anything significant that, uh, that I post or, or whatever, there, there will be a link from there. Great. Well, thank you for coming and talking to us about debuggers. It's so fun to just dig into this stuff. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, folks, well, we'll wrap this one up and we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more. 